You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gate to open wide, he will wash away my sin, let his little child come in. Jesus loves me, loves me still, though I'm very weak and ill. From his shining throne on high comes to watch me where I lie. Jesus loves me. He will stay. Close beside beside me all the way. Then his little child will take up to heaven for his dear sake. It's the original poem of uh, Anna Bartlett Warner. Became the famous song that we've heard from childhood, Jesus loves me, this I know. How do we know? Well, the song said it, because the Bible says so. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 835. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, knowing all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I'm sure of this, that neither death nor life or angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what you and I need to know right up front. God loves you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus loves you. That God does not love a future version of you. God is not putting up with us until we've earned his affection. God's not waiting for us to get our life together before he cares for us. Friends, God loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Do you believe that? Because I, I, you know, I think some of the saddest realities in ministry is to meet men and women that have no idea what it, it, what it means to just to be truly loved. They've never experienced that. They've, they've experienced manipulating affection. They've experienced abusing affection. They've experienced self-seeking affection, but real love from someone in their life. It's 
just sadly been vacant for far too long. So when someone in the church tries to love them, they recoil, they step back, they isolate, they victimize. Simply, many of us, we, we struggle to be loved. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel like we have anything to bring to the table. And the overwhelming truth of the Bible is that we don't. This, this holy God looks at you and I and says, I love you just because you exist. God loves you. This I know for the Bible tells me so. It's the first and most important thing for us to know and cling to. For creation hinges on the love of God. For the gospel hinges on the love of God. Do you know that God loves you? Because if you do, well, you know, the next question must be asked. The question that drives us to the cross, the question that drives us to our passage today, if we know that God loves us, we must answer the question, do we know God? That's the question that should call us out of the boredom of religious rituals. That's the question that should pull us away from legalistic nonsense. Do we know God? No, not just things about him, not just facts about his word, not just definitions of, of theological words. Do we really know him? Like what, a, what greater question could we possibly ponder? J.I. Packer, he put it like this. What, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination, lays hold of our allegiance. And this, the Christian has in a way that no pers other person has. For what higher, more exalted, more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Jesus loves me, Jesus loves you, this I know, but do you know him? Do you love him? Well, we'll find the answer to that in 1 John 2 this morning is where we'll return to. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, all the main passages in the bulletin. But before we look at that, those questions, let's, let's pray together. God, we, as your word states, God, we, we only love because you first loved us. And so I, as we begin this morning, as we pray this morning for a culture that is confused and doesn't understand what it even means to be loved, that you would remind us that, that you really do care for us, that you unconditionally love us, God, that you are not waiting until you can love us one day. God, you're not putting up with us and liking us now, and then in 10 years you might love us. God, you love us fully and completely. Your love does not grow. It's full now. So uh, with all of that knowledge, I pray as we study your word this morning, we would understand what it means to know you. We would pray that we understand what it means to love you. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. 
Well, we'll return to 1 John. This is chapter 2. I'll start in verse 3. Verse 3 says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light and In him there is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I I sat in my office as a a student pastor and heard this college student just pour out his heart to me. It was fear, anxiety, worry. It wasn't over the traditional things that might nag an early 20-year-old guy like school or girls, money, the future. No, this is just this never-ending anxiousness over his own salvation. And I was perplexed. This was not a troubled kid. Um, This is one of the solid students that, that came through our student ministry, but simply he wanted to know if he was saved. And he knew the gospel He had given his life to Christ, had been baptized. He was reading his Bible daily. He was serving in our our middle school ministry at the time. He was was, and is solid. So how, how could he possibly be wrestling with this question? So I did what we should all do when we wrestle with that question. We went through gospel scriptures together that afternoon in my office. We read through those and I asked him, you believe those to be true? He replied, yeah, I, you know, I really do. And I, I looked at him and said, well, then it's true. Regardless of what your emotions or your doubts are telling you, it doesn't change the Bible. And then he looked at me in his frustration and asked, well, well then how do I know it's true of me? And to be honest, it's a fair question. This question, how do we know if we know? That's the question we're going to answer from the Word. That's the question that I I believe John answers. How do we know if we know? Specifically, like, how do we know if we know God? You might have grown up in church. You might have been baptized. You might have memorized a lot of Scripture Bible verses. you, um, You might have been on mission trips. You might have served in various ministries. But how do you know if you know? How do you know if you know God? Not, not intellectual knowledge, but a knowledge rooted in a relationship, a knowledge rooted in the, the gospel that actually saves you. How do we know if we know? Well, thankfully, John answers that for us. It's not an exhaustive list, but some help, helpful truths from the word. How do we know if we know? If you're a note taker, it's going to be pretty simple. We know if we keep his word. 
That's how we know. We know if we keep his word. I mean, it's right, it's right at the beginning of the verses we're focusing on this morning, verse 3. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So in the Gospel of John, a Gospel account that these readers would have had by now, there's this situation that happens between uh, Peter and John, a confrontation of belief. It's a little lengthy, but I think it's helpful for us. Not Peter, Philip, but John 14, verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I mean, do not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's, so it's this understanding that we will not know the Father unless we know the Son. Simply, there, like, there's not a thousand ways to get to heaven. There's not a certain amount of kindness or goodwill that unlocks your ticket to the pearly gates. There is one way, it's the narrow way, it's the cornerstone, it's the only way, it's Christ Jesus. So yeah, it's, like it's that imperative that we know Christ. It's clear in John chapter 14, 12 through 15, if we say we believe in Christ, we'll do what Christ does. If we say we Love Christ, we'll keep his commandments. And Jesus uh, addresses it again in the next chapter of his gospel, uh, John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So to prove we are His disciples, we bear fruit and abide in His love. How do we do that? Well, John 15, 10, we keep His commandments. It's truly not overcomplicated. I didn't, I didn't say it was easy. It's just not complicated. If we want to know if we know Christ, we will keep His word. Which must be stated, well... How do we know what commandments to keep? How do we know what to obey? So let me first state the obvious by, by first listening, reading, and studying the book. The, the Bible is the written word. It's Christ-spoken, so the logic is incredibly simple. We can't really know someone if we're not going to spend a lot of time with them. Like, if you don't know people really well in this church, there's, there's really only one way to fix that. You have to spend way more time with people in this church. It's the same with Christ. To know Christ, the word of life, we spend a lot of time with Christ. How do we do that? Well, by listening, reading, 
studying his word. And I'll make the bold claim for uh, American Christians. If you are not listening and reading and studying the Bible, you should really doubt if you're even a Christian. Seriously. You, you might culturally identify with this ideology of Christianity, but that doesn't mean you know Christ. If you aren't in the word, the word definitely ain't in you. That's not to knock us down. That's a challenge to start today that we can choose to change, can start today, but let's just assume you are. You're, you're prayerfully reading the book, and the question remains, what commandments do we keep? And I'm going to oversimplify this for the sake of clarity, um, but I believe John was alluding to what Jesus was alluding to, that we're called to keep the moral law of the Bible, the moral law found in Genesis to Revelation. What is the moral law? Well, it's, it's the truth in the Bible that, that we follow to honor and praise the Lord. The Ten Commandments is the, like the most major example that we have of this moral law that we still seek to keep. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. And then Jesus takes that a step further in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 verse 21. You've heard it said... Heard that uh, it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's just angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So, So this moral law is for our good, for God's glory. It encompasses how we treat others, how we treat ourselves. We choose to do what is good based on what God defines as good, not what we choose to define as good. The, the Christian experience is like not to do whatever you want because you know God will forgive you. The Christian experience is to pursue what Christ wants. Like we, we choose to do what is righteous. We choose to pursue holiness as he is holiness. And guess what happens when, when you make that your aim in life? Well, among many things, you're going to find out how much you still miss the mark. That the goal of the moral law is also to remind us of how much we need the forgiveness of Christ, which is exactly why John brought this up in 1 John 2, 1. It says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So to keep his word should be this constant reminder of how much we need the forgiveness of Christ every hour. But let's just say... Hey, you're one of them good Christians. You ever met one of them? You know those Christians that just seem like they never sin? Maybe you feel like you don't really struggle with these things, that you always seem to keep his word. Does that mean that you know Christ more than others? Maybe. But let's look at the haunting words of Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name. 
do mighty works in your name, and, and I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So to know Christ is more than just to do things for Christ. To know Christ is to be known by Christ. So, so listen closely. Obedience does not put us into right standing with God. It doesn't. Obedience reveals a heart that is in right standing with God. Meaning to know God is a heart issue. So like John, let me appeal to our affections. How do we know if we know? I'll give you point two. Well, we know if we love the light. You're going to know if you love the light. So, I mean, look at verses seven and eight. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment, but an old. Something that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. But, at, you know, at the same time, the same time it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So what's happening in these verses? Well, John is, is marrying this idea of commandment with this idea of darkness and light that we studied last week. So to begin, what's the old commandment? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Friends, that's not just the old commandment. That's the great commandment. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus, he said to him, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. I mean, that is the first and great commandment, that we love the light, that we love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. The issue of light and darkness, it's a love issue. So when my parents come to visit us here in East Tennessee, it never fails, truly never fails. I'll walk into my own living room, and my mom has like cut on every light in the house, and every lamp, every switch, we're Apparently, we're lighting up the neighborhood, and it drives me crazy because I don't, personally, I don't like the feel of it. I don't want all the lights on at night. I like a few dim lights. To me, it just feels a little more cozy. I love when it's just a little darker in the house, and I think, how much more? Like, how much more is at stake when it comes to our own heart? John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people, well, they love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. And everyone who does the wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. And for those in darkness, they love it. They love it. God forbid, expose who they really are. So how do we know if we know? Well, what do we love the most? Do we love the light with everything that we have? And I'll, I'll just say it like this to help us think through that. Whatever we orient our schedule around is what we love the most. So if, like if your schedule is nothing but work when you really don't need the money, Guess what you love the most? 
how we spend our time reveals what we love the most. I, I, I can't preach this without reading the words of Paul in Philippians 3. It's a little longer, verse 8. I, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, may share his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, compared to Christ, everything else was garbage. Paul wanted to know more and more and more about Jesus because Paul loved the light. Could we say the same about our own schedules? Could we really say we love Jesus? Because on the flip side, I think for the past few years, it seems to me that, that Christians spend far more time hating the darkness than loving the light. And I get it. We should hate the darkness. We should hate the evil things in this world. But I think there's a, there's a serious disconnect when we spend most of our time hating the darkness in the public and digital space rather than loving the light of Christ. It might just mean, and this is going to hurt our feelings, um, it might just mean that we love getting attention from people rather than getting closer to God. We know if we love the light, and it will most certainly be revealed in how we spend our time. How do we know if we know? Well, we'll look at the new commandment. Point three, we, we know if we love each other. We know if we love each other. So verses 9 and 11 of our passage reveal something of an issue happening in, among the readers. Apparently, apparently, there were people that were claiming to be Christians and they weren't being nice to each other. I know it's crazy. I know that stuff doesn't happen anymore, so just work with me. Um, whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's, it's that critical for us that hating someone has a way of blinding us to the point of not even being considered a Christian. John is making that case that we shouldn't even think we know Christ if we're going to hate his own kids. It is the commandment. Let me first read the second half of what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, so Matthew, going back to Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It's even more clear in John's Gospel account, John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How will people really know if you love Jesus? How, will people, how are they going to find out that you were really his, one of his disciples? 
Well, because we post scripture on Facebook. Because we tell that family member they're living in sin. Because we give money to the church. Because we went to Bible college or seminary. And none of those are necessarily wrong. It's just not what Jesus said in John chapter 13. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's the new commandment. The mark of someone that really knows Christ is someone that loves. And I get it because we, we live in a culture that is confused about love. Love does not mean that we always agree. Love does not mean that we, like, we can't call sin a sin. Love does not mean that we can't graciously challenge someone to live according to the moral law of the Bible. Love is a heart issue toward a brother or sister in Christ. We say nice things to each other? Uh, let, me, let me crank that up. Do we say nice things behind each other's back? Do we seek ways to encourage each other? Do we find ways to serve each other? If I can be honest, this church, I was telling someone in this church a few weeks ago on the phone, this church has been very kind and loving to my family, me and my family. I know we aren't perfect. We've got, this church has got issues. We've let people fall through the cracks. We've said and done things we regret. If you're looking for an always loving church, you got you to gotta keep driving next Sunday. But overall, I, this is a loving church. And since this is a loving church, it, it means it's a church that knows Christ. That's the connecting bridge. That is the new commandment. That is the fruit that we must produce. We know if we're going to love each other. So there, there was this um, breakout conference session that intrigued me. Uh, a few from our church in Illinois, they, we visited Harvest Bible Chapel in the uh, Chicago suburbs, and one of just one speaker after another, very encouraging time in ministry. And, but I went to one of these breakout sessions that intrigued me. It was called Church Planting 101. So I attended. I always had a heart for church planting, but I always knew, like, I'm not, I'm not a church planter. That's not where I'm at. It's not my gifting. And so my heart, since I was a teenager, has been church revitalization. So to, to see established churches flourish and grow again, to see unhealthy churches become healthy again, that was and still is my heart. So after the session... I had a chance to speak to one of these presenters, and I shared where I was at ministry, shared that, that I have a heart to teach the Word, um, shared my heart for church revitalization, and he stopped me and said, why? Why would you do that? I was like, well, man, kind of taken back. Thanks for crushing my dreams here, brother. Um, I said, you know, look, I just, I've had that on my heart for a long time. And he said, Why? Like, you're at a good church. Why would you give that up? I think the Lord certainly testing me in that moment, but, you know, there's always a story behind every hurt. And so I asked him, why wouldn't I? So he, he began to share a too common story of ministry wounds. He had been at a church revitalization himself. He had moved his family 
given up everything to serve the church. Things uh, have been going well for a while until they weren't. And when he pushed to make some necessary changes for the church, the leadership pushed back and round and round they went. And that hurt boiled to the surface one night at a deacon's meeting. He told me he sat in this conference room with the other deacons. And after a while, uh, one of the deacons stopped and, and chimed in and said, if you, don't, if you don't leave this church, we're going to starve you and your family out of it. And I stood in that hallway and shocked. I was like, they said what to you? They said they were going to starve me and my family out of the church. It's brutal. And I could see the grief still on his face as he told some stranger he met in a conference and yeah, he's right. Church revitalization is not for the weak of heart, but as he said those words to me, I thought, how do you not hate that guy, right? I mean, if I was him, like, how, how would I not hate that deacon? As John writes, verses 9 through 11, he doesn't call us to love easy people. If hate's involved, there was confrontation that preceded it. If hate's involved, there were wounds that, that cut deep that preceded it. And so I say this with all confidence and without any exaggeration. There has never been one single unbeliever in my entire life that has discouraged me in my faith. Not a single one. The only people that have ever discouraged me in my faith in Christ have been people that claim to be Christians. Isn't that a little messed up? Isn't that a gut feeling that many of us would relate to? For a people that have been so deeply loved, we often do a poor job of loving each other. The truth is, like, you just can't tell me you're in the light and then hate your brother or sister in Christ. You can't do that. Hate is, is reserved for the man or woman whose eyes are blind. But for those who walk in the light, they choose to love. We know if we keep his word. We know if we love the light, and we certainly know if we love each other. So that's how we know if we know. Walk in the same way in which Christ walked. That's, that's our main point from the passage. Walk in the same way in which Christ walked. Walk in the light. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the uh, challenge of your word, the heart check of your word. God, we want to be men and women that choose righteousness, that choose to walk in the light as you are in the light. But God, we want all of this to be rooted in our love and affection for Christ. We want to love you. And if we say we love you, we want to love each other. To be kind to one another, to serve one another take care of each other. 
to lift each other up. We just can't say that we love you and then hate each other. Can't do it. So I'm thankful for uh, the encouragement and challenge of your word. Um, I pray that you would do a work I could never do with it. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.